Hi, welcome to the Holy Fuck Podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Roxo, author of Fuck Like a Goddess, creator of Radical Awakenings, transformational coach, and student of life. I'm here to stand with you asking questions about what is sacred and what is profane and the space between. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. I want to take a moment to tell you about my upcoming program, Creative Woman Set Free. So I've just been wanting to initiate a group of incredible souls, incredible women into opening their creative channel. And this is really the channel of love. It is the channel that moves from the throat into the heart and into the womb, the pussy. And so a lot of us have a lot of tightening or blockages in that channel, and really it can hinder the expression of our soul in the world. To me, there's an emanation that arises from within, from deep, 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 deep within. Sometimes we pull from the outside first when we're like, who am I and what am I going to express? But in this class, we're going to really source from deep within. We're going to find the magnetic and unique, special thing that only you have. So this has been so important for me. It's like, what is that particular bouquet kaleidoscope of my soul and how do I express that outward in the world? I want to help you find that so that you don't have any questions about it, so that you actually have a direct link down and in to your heart and soul, and you can feel what it wants to express in the world. We're going to have so much fun. There will be ritual. There will be spotlight coaching. There will be anecdotes from me about my epic fails and epic wins and myths and stories, and it will be a beautiful journey. So come on board. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait to have you. Hi, everybody. Well, okay. Today's podcast is with someone I have admired and known for over a decade. Yes. Back into my New York days, Brooklyn days. He has been making impactful work in this world, and I am just just glad to know him. I hope you enjoy the deep, juicy, visionary conversations that we had on this podcast, and that it gives you some delicious food for thought. Hi, everybody. I am very happy today to reunite with an old friend, my friend Rocco. We met back in New York when I was probably like 26. So like maybe 12 years ago, 13 years ago, somewhere yeah. around there. Um, we were living different lives at the time. And, and before <laughs> we started recording, we were just talking about how some of us have this capacity to reinvent ourselves, to have different iterations of, of our lives. And I think I've heard people say to me, like, wow, you've lived a lot of lives. Have people said mm. that to you? Totally. I okay. mean, first of all, yeah, uh, run us through your I wanna, lives. <laughs> I mean, when I was a kid, I thought that I was going to be an international pop star. And then, you know, I okay, you sort out. of were a pop star for a moment. Adjacent, so adjacent. Should, I did that. <laughs> maybe you should start with that. Yeah, I mean, that like, God, I was like, okay, I was a rapper. I was a cultural competency trainer. I was um, a nutrition coach. I uh, coached executives for a second. Um, I worked at BuzzFeed, Spotify, so new media. Um, worked at Grindr for a while, doing content there. Uh, have worked at a healthcare company, have worked at startups, um, run a camp, uh, have written a couple books, made a magazine for 10 years, did right. like through through parties, held music festivals. So yeah, I mean, like you all lived over the place. Lots of lives. <laughs> I yeah. met you kind of, I think, at the height of your um. I think you were touring as a rapper yeah. uh, and you also had created and you, it was kind of at the height of your magazine, original plumbing. And I remember going yeah. to some incredible party. I mean, incredible meaning we were, I mean, I was partying, but it is some incredible <laughs> parties in Brooklyn. Like those were, I didn't really have a party phase before mm -hmm. that, like before, I think, I guess 26 or 27. Um, mm -hmm. But I think there was, I've talked about this before, but there was something so liberating about being in the queer scene in Brooklyn at that time that it liberated my inner partier. I was like, I'm free yeah. to just be myself and be wild. And uh, totally. those 
that that magazine I think was yeah really revolutionary. Will you yeah. t- you want to tell us a little bit about that and also your um, rapper persona? <laughs> you know, I could never figure out how to identify the persona. And I think that's ultimately what distracted me from having a music career was there was so much um, like of an affront that you have to put on that I couldn't figure out how to integrate like uh, ex- an external identity. Like, so everything was all murky. And then ultimately it sort of led to my um desire to stop performing in a major way. Right. Because it, it's not very nuanced, right? You kind of have to give one thing in a way. Yeah. And people expect that you're different than the person you are on a stage, which I had a lot of friends who would talk about how they cultivated these relationships to the performer that they were. And for me, it was like, and it was me turned up to like 10, right? Or turned up to 100 or whatever the maximum volume is. And I couldn't figure out how to separate the two. So like me as a performer was me as Rocco. So it was like there was no separation and it felt dismantling at times because when you make yourself public and available in any way, if you put yourself on a platform or a stage, like a literal stage or a virtual stage, you by default make yourself accessible. And if you don't create some sort of energetic boundary that separates you from that person, that version of your personhood, um, it it can become detrimental. And I think that it undid me a little. And I realized that I didn't want to be accessible in that way anymore. And it kind of happened at this nice moment because I started the magazine in 2009. It was the first print magazine that was decidedly and dedicated to the culture of trans men. And that was a culture that wasn't really visible until the magazine. And it was definitely, um, it's hard to even say culture because there was no culture of trans men because there was no visibility and there was no gathering space. And the magazine did all of that. And, you know, myself and my partner, um, Amos Mack in the magazine, were both like curious about all culture, not just trans masculine or trans male culture. So I think we did a really good job of making a cool lifestyle brand in a way that people of that identity and people who wanted to celebrate that identity wanted to be a part of what we were creating. And we did a really a really good job and we ran for 10 years. We did 20 issues over the span of 10 years. It got printed in a book on feminist press when we closed out. So on our 10th year, 20th issue, um, it all culminated into this beautiful anthologized coffee table book. Um, wow. Yeah. And I segued out of music as that magazine started. Yeah. I think that's when we met was it was at yeah. the, the height of the New York Times had written about us a couple of times. We're on the cover of that um, stupid uh, gay nightlife magazine in New York. Next. Oh. oh, next. I thought it was out. Oh, out was the last week. No, we were. Yeah, we were in out one. Yeah, we were yeah. in the out 100. We were it was very celebrated. So, yeah, I think that we sort of ushered next in. This out, yeah. Yeah, I'm just, you're taking me back. I'm like, right. Yeah, yeah. The the free gay magazine that was at all, all the clubs, right? Yeah. Um. So it was this nice kind of segue into like creating a different type of culture because you know being a singular performer or host or I don't need to tell you that it's like right. that's there's no separation. So making this magazine and having a partner was this segue into a different way of creating space because I always saw myself as a musician of uh, as being a host of creating a space right it wasn't about look at me it was about let's all gather and have this like beautiful energy exchange with each other yeah and OP allowed me to just do that in a whole different way um, yeah at a bigger scale yeah you created community and like Mm -hmm. a community that was needed um, at a certain time and I think you know that's something that's really incredible about being, I, you know, the word visionary kind of comes to mind someone who sees the greater vision, right? Like, oh, there's a gap in, in the world um, as it is with you in that moment, it had to do with trans male culture. And then you like carve that out. And then you as a person get to 
decide if you want to kind of keep marching onward. And then that space within culture that you've carved out remains and like mm. it keeps growing and the community changes and shifts over time. And what I found is that some of the people that take those first steps that, you know, really sort of start to move the needle are not the ones that are always widely celebrated. Like they are to an extent by not, not always by the mainstream because they're mm -hmm. the ones that had to step on the edge of culture and push the edge, right. Where no one had done that trans male, like community space, like, you know, no one had carved out that visual mm -hmm. language, you know, the, the, all of it. And so you took that time to do that. And then it's, it's, it's interesting because then, then the mainstream culture catches up a little bit, a little bit, right? Like 10 years mm -hmm. later. And I find that like, I've been that person in different ways. Like I, around that time, I created the web show that um, you were a part of, we had like a very uh, unfortunate misunderstanding. <laughs> We won't we don't need to get into all of that. Water under the but, bridge. You know, I was in the Saturn's return and it's a whole different version of me as well. But Rock You can't hold anybody you can't hold anybody accountable for the life free Saturn. Free Saturn return. return. It's yeah. so true. A friend yeah. of mine recently was like, let's start a women's circle, but only women post Saturn's return. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um anyway, but at that time, like we were making a show about um being a modern spiritual practitioner, like having a spiritual life and having a modern life. And it was so weird to most people at that time talking about mm. meditation was weird. You know, green mm. juice was weird. Isn't that, isn't mm. that strange that like green juice was weird? It was like kind of a weird thing that hippies yeah. and ran, you know, um, I mean, and I then, grew up in the Bay Area, so none of that stuff was none weird. None of that's but weird New, for you. But you were in New York, and New York did not have spiritual cult, like the cult no. culture, I'm using air quotes, right. um, of like spiritual culture did not exist as a through line in any way, shape, or form. And you and your um, partner who made that uh, show were on this this edge of pushing right. things into the zeitgeist in a different way. Exactly. And so yeah. what I, yeah, that's pre Gwyneth Paltrow pre group. Yes. So that's the kind <laughs> pre -group. of group. And I, we yeah. were like, and, and original plumbing magazine was pre uh, Laverne Cox tipping point. Right. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like, yeah, being, um, being on that frontier, and you mm. don't always get the same amount of kind of praise or acclaim, but you do push some sort of an edge of people's consciousness or minds or whatever. Yeah. And then we get to decide where we go next. And I love that. And I think that's part of the reinvention place is like mm. um, we can kind of push an idea or push like, uh, you know, kind of start to to spotlight a, a zeitgeist that is going to emerge. It's like it's mm. coming and then go, OK, fine. Now you guys are all into it and you're all yeah. caught up. I'm out. I'm going on. And then your work else. is done. Right. <laughs> Work is done. Because if you're a person, I see myself as um, I, I've often thought of myself as like a lighthouse person. So yeah. I walk a path that's somewhat dark. And I'll say even with my own transition, I transitioned in two. I began my transition in 2000 and I was 20 and there was nothing. And young people weren't transitioning at that time. There was literally no resources. So I couldn't Google because Google wasn't a thing. I had to like type in the mm -hmm. Ask Jeeves search engine, really like antiquated kind of yeah. clunky terminology to discover that the possibility of my existence was anything. Right. So I th thought of myself as being of service to other people who felt similarly to me and then casting a wider light. So yeah. hence the lighthouse part so that I, that they didn't have to feel as alone right. or confused or lost as I did. And, um, and I think that that's my kind of, you said something very like astute, which is that the, like it's community. So the community piece is the through line for me. And I think like, yeah. I, I'm curious to hear what what your through line is, because if you looked at the random kind of spattering of energetic resources that I've thrown at creating things, it's all over the place. But if you look at the through line and the, the constellation mapping of the whole thing, the at the core, it's a real desire for connection, communication and community. And those three things 
sit at the center of every single thing I do, yeah. um, even in the way that I relate in intimate um, connections or with yeah. friendships or with my partner. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious, what, yeah. what is, what's your like through line? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm like, oh, I'm so curious about your astrology because I'm like, mm. appeals, we'll talk about that in a second if you know it but um i do i also know my human design so I'm you do okay cool cool yeah. um yeah. definitely i the connection community is huge for me and creating community around the different things that i do and then those communities sometimes just like thrive fully without me people make connections they go on to do their own projects that are kind of influenced by what i've called them into um communication is definitely a huge part of it and connection too it is all connection based so i love those three words mm-hmm. i've looked at it more as like a, a life thesis like mm. what is my kind of like thesis that i continue to build upon for me it does have a lot to do with with being a woman and mm. uh, at a young age feeling this split between my spirituality and sexuality and feeling like as a woman um that there was a, something collectively, not just in my my female like body, but in the collective like feminine mm. heart, soul, body. Um, so there's always been an aspect of that more. That's more, I guess, a little bit more sort of ideological. It's like, okay, everything is kind of funneling into this greater um curiosity and mm. and and healing or and exploration and really mending this split in in Mm. women, which I think exists in all of humanity, to be honest, but I just really investigated it through my feminine experience or my female experience. But, um, but yeah, I think. Because it's what you're called to do. Yeah, that's what I'm called to do. But there's, but it's never been solo, you know, from being in college at NYU. It's like creating plays and getting people together Mm. and like, you know, creating rituals or film sets. It's always like, yeah, like a space of gathering. And I I love Mm. that. do you have that's interesting to hear you yeah. say that too because for me you know i don't think i had i think everything i turned um i'm 42 and i think once i hit 40 i started being able to accurately see myself in some ways that i hadn't before mm-hmm. so i never took myself seriously as a leader because i have issues with authority yeah. so my block to seeing my natural inclination to lead um and i think what you're taught what you identified of uh of us like creating or trailblazing or being yeah. a lighthouse or any of those things it's leadership right it's vision yeah. and it's leadership and i think i couldn't take myself seriously as a leader because it felt um i don't know it feels like adjacent to being a cop or something right. like i just have so many authority issues that i had to unpack to understand that and it took me ex- my prime desire in relationship is to be seen as a safe person Mm. and i want to be a person who people feel and understand is safe and i realized that when i abandon my natural inclination to lead and i don't step fully into it i eschew the responsibility that comes with being a good leader and Uh. it makes me unsafe which motivated me to really integrate into my own understanding of self that i'm naturally a leader and that's not a bad thing because i can be a benevolent leader who's inclusive and calls other people to share the space yeah does all the things i do naturally yeah that it doesn't have to be this sort of authoritative dictatorship it can be this benevolent space holder space creator who also understands how to make a plan for other people or can kind of design the experience or the thing for other people who don't have that natural inclination who want someone to come and be a leader so i had to like twist that around for myself wow what a beautiful journey to get there yeah but in seeing myself thank thank you but in seeing myself accurately, I realized like another through line for me is healing around my own relationship to masculinity yes. and allowing other people to heal as a result of my integrated understanding of how to heal my masculinity. Because men um, and masculine people, but even more specifically, men, both trans and cis men are hurt and there's no space culturally for men to be vulnerable and to be in connection with each other without being called toxic. Mm -hmm. And that uh, the kind of language that we choose 
culturally to define masculinity and maleness is really harmful. It's and, so harmful these days, especially. Mm, mm -hmm. yeah. But all of the men's movements throughout time, you can kind of look back and it's all about this reclaiming of like warlike and godlike prowess. But it's like, what about the rest? Like, what about the tender, soft, vulnerable right. aspects of masculinity? So I feel right. like it's nice to be in conversation with you because I feel like our lives have sort of, you know, woven yeah. in these ways. But that through line of like, you're called to do this work, yeah. similar type of work yeah. of digesting yourself and then yes. um, you know, kind of coming back and offering those digested reflections to a community of women. And for me, it's the same thing, but for communities of men. Yeah. And I think that's a great segue because I did want to ask, you know, when you're talking about leadership, I was kind of curious, how does this relate to your journey around masculinity? Um, since a lot of those archetypal kind of more toxic, like it's been archetypally more prevalent throughout history that tyrants or dictator um, <laughs> in terms of authority, right? Like we kind of think of that. I mean, there's definitely like a female te mad teacher kind of archetypal authority mm. as well. But I think, yeah, there's, uh, I mean, I've had my own issues with authority. And even just recently, I was considering going to grad school. And I was like asking the hardest questions to the teachers. And they were just like, the true questions about, mm. is this a place where we're going to learn about different types, different cultures? And are there different voices represented? And they're like, no, it's mainly mm. white male teachers and mainly what, what, and I, so I decided I'm not going, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, I'm like, yeah, that's a no for me. Um, mm. But, but so, yeah, we're in a larger conversation, right. With the history of what it means to be a leader um, and seeing the, the, the shadow imprints of like tyrant mm. dictator and not having a lot of the positive or exalted or aligned imprints. Like we just don't, have a lot of them that we've yeah. experienced and so i'm curious with or we you. don't even see it as leadership like uh, uh -huh. as soon as you're talking about it i was thinking it now that we're in this framework of masculine and feminine energy and and yeah. i'm saying that in the more divine way of divine masculine and divine yeah feminine. more archetypal less like about general yeah, i yeah, well, but you can, you know, the two things like uh, the feminine energy is really receptive, right. seen as receptive, yeah. and male energy is seen as like penetrative in this way that it's like commandeering and domineering and all of these things right. that are sort of like grunt, abrasive, like blunt force. And right. even that is seen as leadership. So when we say something like leader and we have negative connotations to it, we think of like Hitler or Trump, right? Right. We don't immediately go there. And if we're just using men as an example of leaders, like we don't, or not even, we, we don't think of like Mother Teresa, right? right. right. It's not the first thought you have that That's comes to mind. Yeah. Or right. like Oprah, even. Right. Do you know what I mean? It's like right. she is. She's, she's culturally thought leader. Yeah. Culture. Yeah. Enormous. But right. she's probably not like the first person that people think of as leader or even when. Mm -hmm. Even when we do think of those people, we think, yeah, but I bet in her downtime, she's really an asshole, right? <laughs> do you know? Right, right, right. Yeah. Because there's something so associated with that much power mm -hmm. or that yeah. much money either, you know? Yeah. I think, yeah. you know, we're all suffering under the crushing, crippling weight of the patriarchy and all of these sort of antiquated systems that have been designed to prioritize a very small, um, slice of of humankind you know straight cis white older white men i'd say are like basically who gets to to win um in this way that i think that as as we're all crippled and uh, like crushed under that kind of crippling weight of that system um it we don't get to like examine how everyone is harmed by it yeah. so i think a lot about like patriarchal kind of masculinity constraints and um and this sort of like dominant media narrative about how all men are toxic okay. and yeah it's it's harms everyone because then we don't give room for men to heal and for masculinity to be reshaped and held in a different way culturally 
So when you say something is toxic, it literally means that you have to put a hazmat suit on and dispose of it forever, right? So why can't we just kind of reshape and reframe collectively? Men aren't toxic. The patriarchy is toxic. We don't need patriarchy. We need like men and women and non-binary people to collaborate and envision a different way for all gendered people to be able to occupy their humanness. Yeah. Yeah. And when we call it toxic, we take away the positive, like patria, the positive father principle that we actually like, especially like we need, all of us need, we take away, you know, if we sort of label all masculinity as toxic, all modern male maleness, we take away this like essential part of reality. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just like think about like, I don't want that gone. Like I need, I need the, the, the energetics that I need the, the archetypal energetics of patria, father, you know, within myself and Mm -hmm. outside of myself, right? Within myself, I need a strong internal father, like a strong backbone that's got me, a strong protector that's got me, um, a strong provider for myself, you know, like I, I do need that in myself. And if I label that toxic outside of me, then I will also label it toxic inside of me as a, as a woman Mm -hmm. or as any gender. And again, like we're using words that are, uh, that, that describe archetypal qualities, right? And we could call it purple, red, yellow, but we're not, that's just not where we are. You know, like my internal kind of father figure, I can't really just translate to the color purple. Like it really, I would grew up, I was born in 1984 in a world where there are men and there are women and I had a mother and a father. And so it really helps me to contextualize my experience by saying, yeah, like my internal father and the men outside of me, I don't want to blaspheme them all into being toxic. Like, right. Because like, just because there's a greater overculture that has these really shadowy pro- like properties and histories does not mean that everyone um, is inherently that, you know, and that that's, I feel the harm um, in my own self and I've mm-hmm. lived the harm in my own self, self-shaming my own you know, masculinity in ways. Yeah. And then of my father denying my father, you know, putting him into a box of all the mm. toxic machismo because he's, you know, born in Brazil in the forties. And mm-hmm. I missed years of amazing goodness from him. I missed so much masculine nourishment from him or protection, mm. or maybe it's a, it's a different quality um, because I was just a no to all anything that came from the patriarchy. And yeah. so I robbed myself of an of something that was essential. And now I'm repairing that. And I hate, I would hate for the generations to come to just to just be in that. But if that's yeah. part of the transformation, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, who's to say? I don't know either. But I think that part of what you something that stood out, what you just said about how like you can't like if you see everything externally is toxic, then by default, you'll feel that internally. And I'm thinking a lot lately about, or doing a lot of work around um, my lack of self-compassion and how that looks externally. And as I've already said, external kind of understanding is how I integrate internal deep mining and transformation. And so I see that I have less uh, compassion for my wife than I would like. And I realize it's because my glass of compassion is maybe a quarter full internally. So I have to figure out how to have more compassion internally so that I can give her authentic, um, replenished compassion. Because if I know how it feels authentically to have compassion, then I'll be able to give more authentic compassion and continue to regenerate more and more. And similarly, in terms of like man hating, I'm going to call it what it was because for the bulk of the first third or two thirds of my life, I hated men. Yeah. So 
as a teenage, I mean, as a kid, I felt like a boy, obviously I ended up being a man, but I felt like a boy. I had a really different path to my maleness. I struggled. I self-actuated. I became a man. And through the process of that, you know, at one point I was like a 17 year old, 15 year old butch woman who hated men. I hated men. And then I transitioned and I still felt like I hated men. And then I was, a, a, I was a trans um, a man of trans experience in a queer community. So people prized my man hating. So when I would say right. that I was a man that hated men, I was rewarded with a warm reception of like, yes, that makes you a good man because you see that men are inherently fucked. Right. right. So there's this kind of like narrative that if like, that men are terrible and it exists in the queer community. It exists in other communities. It exists at large in culture. And I think even there's so many books written that discourse and dialogue and have these academic sort of approaches of diagnosing men as the problem of uh, like our societal um, relationship to each other. And it took me holding a camp for men of trans experience, but it was, you know, age 18 to like almost 80, these guys who attend and it's like a hundred to 150 dudes, three to four days in the woods. We're doing like camp things like archery, high ropes, et cetera. And then we have these like big, deep heart centered conversations. We meditate together. We have this transformational connection of brotherhood. And these are all men who have had a transgender experience, but they don't identify as non-binary. It's not like a transmasculine umbrella. It is people who have thought deep, long, hard, and fought to be in their bodies to be men. And so it's very intentional masculinity. And I looked around and I thought this was 2016 at the first camp. I thought, I love all of these men. And it was the first time I felt Mm. just love, like unilateral, unequivocal, only love for men. And I thought, I see them as men. Do I put a caveat to that? And I thought, absolutely not. And then I thought, okay, so I see them as men and I love these men. What's stopping me from loving men? Uh And then that moment was like a light switch. And then I just started obsessing. I read every book I could read. I did all these. I joined multiple men's groups. I joined every man. I did uh, Sacred Uh Sons for a brief moment. Uh I I read mythopoetic men's movement literature, which is problematic, but you take what you like and leave the rest. I read everything. And I realized that like trans men and cis men can actually like do work together that is transformational for men culture that I think that's what I feel most motivated to do. So when I read all those books, the commonality was either they upheld these sort of antiquated ideas about men, or they locked men into this forever toxic jello mold. And I just thought like, what can I do to be of service to men who want tools, but they're reading all these books and they have to read book after book after book. If they're on the quest to like be a quote unquote good man, they're reading all these books and all they're reading about is how lonely they are, how alienated they are, how deprived they are and how wrong they are. And so I just made a simple, I asked a a bunch of people who's thought leaders in their own right. And I wrote myself and made a simple practical guide to healing your relationship to masculinity which is called the Mindful Masculinity Workbook. And it's literally just that. And it's imbued yeah. with so much compassion. And mm. the foundation is that the patriarchy is fucking all of us. And mm. so how do you unfuck yourself from being locked into this kind of machine that keeps us all separate from ourselves, from each other, from love, from um, from expansiveness? It keeps us small and it keeps yeah. us separate. And it keeps us in harm in this sort of gelatinous state of like forever harm. And I just wow. think like, I want men to, I want men to be able to be different and for that to be okay. And culturally yeah. we're not there yet. We're not like yeah. creating us. I know this is going to sound like it, but I'm hoping that your listeners are a safe place for me to try this out, but yeah. I want men to have a safe space. And I know that sounds counter because men largely are perpetrators of harm for people who are not men, but they also harm themselves. Right. And they're not going to be less harmful unless they get to feel safe. 
Hello, quick interlude here. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. If you are, I'd love for you to check out my book, Fuck Like a Goddess, my guide to healing yourself, reclaiming your voice, and standing in your power. Publishers Weekly called it a sharp, forceful debut. It was one of Bustle's best summer reads and a bestseller in three categories on Amazon. These are my methods that I'm teaching to inspire you, challenge you, bring up your resistance so you can face it and get free and unleash your gifts. How to let life make love to you, enjoy every bit and find the magic in all of it guide. You can find it at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, IndieBound and Sounds True or by visiting alexandraroxo.com slash book. Thank you so much. It means the world to me to have your support for my work. Back to the podcast. No, I think my audience can would be um, a yes to that, I feel. Um, (laughs) Because it's about the nature of healing and not separating, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think... You know, I also definitely fell into sort of man hating. I remember one one time someone, I mean, it must have been back only in like 2017 or something. And someone read some posts that, I mean, this was like right Me Too-ish era, like right after kind of vibes. And someone, a, a cis male friend of mine said something like, you just seem so angry at men. And I was in a process that had already begun around healing with my own internal masculine, with my biological father, with patriarchy. And that process, I mean, it still continues, but it was like, I really had to have a reckoning at um, this blame and victim game that I was also participating in that I actually think is essential for a certain part of each of our own personal narratives and the collective. Like we have to just sometimes allow ourselves that. Like it's a part of the process to go, I've been hurt. I've been harmed. That fucking sucks. You're a dick. <laughs> you know, or whatever. <laughs> That's kind of in, on the lower level of the communication of that. But, mm-hmm. um, but then not to get stuck there. And the getting stuck there is painful to experience within one's own being and painful to experience in the people you love and painful to experience in the collective narrative. You know, it's like, and I understand why we keep getting stuck there because there's more harm that keeps getting committed. Right. And that's, however, um, that's probably going to keep happening. Everyone's going to keep hurting each other on this planet. And so I feel that aspect in a lot of people and a lot of uh, that still that like sort of little shard of male hatred. And I hear Mm. it at dinner parties or whatever. And I'm really not wanting to a teacher of mine says collude, you know, be in kind of collision with collusion with like, I don't want to collude with that anymore. Like, Mm. I don't want to continue to get on board. Um, even people just in the deep blame of the patriarchy, because I already know, okay, yeah, we, I incarnated at a time where, you know, it's like a lot of things are not beneficial to the planet and the people's on it. And therefore they're going to start crumbling and changing, but does it support me and the process of change to continue to point my finger? Mm-hmm. Like, or can I just start to be part of the change committee and the transformation mm-hmm. committee and like mm-hmm. less focused on the finger pointing that's where I'm at personally. And though we do, I think, still need people to like point their fingers if they if they're they work in politics or something, you know, <laughs> they they need to go, hey, yeah. that's wrong or that's right. But the right and wrong game feels, again, like very like in, in the political space or like in a place where but in the heart space. It's like, I don't want to exist in that where I'm seeing mm. everyone's wrong all the time. You know, I would like mm. to expand past that and to feel into um, what does unite us and to have compassion, like you're talking yeah. about what unites us as humans. Um, so I appreciate you bringing that in and just honoring and acknowledging that you were praised for man-hating mm-hmm. because I've yeah. been praised as well. Praised for just making off-the-cuff comments oh yeah, well, he's a straight white man. So fuck him or, you know, yeah. and, and feeling that the harm inside myself and the harm that I'm doing to like all my kids, little sons, you know, like, mm-hmm. and the harm that's just, it just continues to perpetuate it. Yeah. 
I think, you know, there's two things that pointing the finger is such a powerful visual. And I always think about that um, Buddhist saying of second arrow, where it's like, you're shooting one arrow out, like blaming, like that's, that's the problem. And then the second arrow is coming right back at you. So I just think, think about that all the time of the like reciprocal kind of nature of energy and how if you're out there blaming other things for that's not to take i'm not victim blaming in any way shape or form i think it's important to acknowledge harm but the only way to to uh kind of heal from harm is inside like nothing outside of yourself is going to heal you it just won't and something outside of you might have harmed you um inevitably will continue to harm you but how you make space to be in a constant relationship to your like self with a capital S around healing is like deep, deep work. That's like, that's the evolutionary kind of work of change. And I think like, I've been thinking a lot lately about how noisy and unforgiving and um, all consuming cancel culture is becoming in this way. That's like, it's really interesting to see this dichotomy of, um, of non-binary uh, identity taking uh, a like having a big kind of ripple effect and it is taking more and more space is this kind of like desire for making more room for this non-binary experience and yet many people who feel very strongly that that you know gender is non-binary are participating in cancel culture which is exceptionally binary in my opinion there's right and wrong right one or the other you have this much room to disagree but you better figure it out and so there's no room for disagreement because if you don't agree with me you're wrong and so i think that having these two things pop up at the same time culturally is so uh like undoing for me because I'm watching this one thing of like, yeah, okay, gender can be non-binary. If anything, I don't really see the binary as much as I see just like expanse. So Uh I'm not thinking of anything on a linear pole. So it's not like man, woman, although I myself have a very binary identity, like I feel very male and everything in between is this large expanse that gets to be a volcano where it's like tomorrow there's new earth we have no idea what the language is and yet don't tell me that i'm this or else you're wrong like the thing right. that happened with beyonce recently the, oh i don't um, even know tell me <laughs> oh my god it was just like she said i don't uh, don't i don't know all the details because i'm i'm off social media and i limit my news cycle yeah. but um i think she used the word spaz in a song and then she was canceled and then she apologized and removed it and re-recorded the song and i just think it's all like context right language is context so i just think like the fact that we that the liberal left-leaning folks will spend their energy undoing that and then the right wing is undoing all of our civil rights is like is that how we want to spend our energy i know is that what I, we want to resource? Canceling I was actually Beyonce? talking about. <laughs> I was you talking about I mean? this in the car the other day with with my dear friend Ruby, and we were like, "Is it because of this like subconscious existential dread that we have about like the world ending and the climate kind of um, going to like falling apart and us having no agency within that?" that we find Mm. the places where we have agency to sort Mm. of enact something because Mm. it it is wild to think about, you know, there are many levels of in beyond our comprehension, suffering on this planet, you know, Mm -hmm. of other humans, of children, of enslaved peoples of all kinds of things right immigrants separated from the children there's just so Mm -hmm. much to be upset about um and the climate too and 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 i don't know i'm not saying it's not completely fine for people to be upset about beyonce Um, but i am (laughs) but i am curious if there because we feel powerless in other areas Mm. if when we find the places where we can have agency and power Mm. we need to sort of claim that there on a wider culture mm. yeah, of, i don't it's take. a phenomenon i i haven't i haven't much tuned in as much to cancel culture because it feels so like 
outside of the heart as, as hippie as that sounds <laughs> um, no it's good i think I like kind of, you know living in a digital age we are served too much information all the time our uh systems are on overdrive our nervous system never gets to pause and regulate yeah. and we found these tools of distraction um to be like our relaxation where we're like sc doom scrolling and like virtue signaling as a way to unplug so it's like plugging back in to this machine that's right. doing harm to, it's like the, it's a serpent eating programming our minds and selling our stuff you, and telling us what you know, to buy right and i was thinking about this the other day too where i was like can you imagine 15 years ago if someone was like hey do you want to hold this do you want to carry around this tracking device all the time upload all of your private pictures to public to strangers for them to see um give everybody all of your information like what you like to eat what you like where you like to shop like all your information do you want that right fuck no <laughs> right I mean fuck no and we all are doing it like yeah I can't stop Right. You know what and I mean? would, and like, oh, what do you want to do tonight? Or when you have some time off, do you want to just like scroll on this app or like, um, you know, just like binge watch 10 episodes of a show? Is that sound like the, the best it, way to unwind? All goes back to what you're saying, though, about like, we, there's so little we have so much information about what a perilous time we're living in and we have no control. So I think there's like this sort of dichotomous approach of like, you can either go this hippie kind of route, this hippie spiritual route of like getting deeper with self, having a spiritual evolution, or you can tune all the way out and be angry. And in like this constant state of uh, frustration and fight or flight over you, all of it. Yeah. It sort of exactly. is like how and how can you what I've been playing with this notion, too, of like, how do you how can you occupy both of those? Like, how do you do that? Yeah. Yeah. I how mean, do I, you do that? Well, I think that during the pandemic and then into Black Lives Matter, I felt more of a responsibility to do that. And like. Any sort of little spiritual bubble that I had found myself in in L.A., which I hadn't been in in New York City. Like I just hadn't. You're, I came in contact with all different types of people. I was involved with different communities and I there was no real book. There's no like hiding from the suffering or, or of life or the truth. But L.A. kind of it afforded me a little uh, maybe afforded is the wrong word. It, it it felt like a bubble. Like there was so mm. much more insularness and being alone and all of this. And then um, your I found myself in a very like sort of spiritual reality of people like doing their whole wellness thing and disconnected from the grit of humanity mm. in a way and from mm. the true suffering. And um, I became kind of disillusioned with that world. Um, and it's kind of this, that idea of don't bite the hand that feeds you. I was like, well, now I've created this myself within this world. And, but I see the holes in the world and I see, you know, the shadows in the world. And mm. since then, it's funny because that's when I met my partner and then I ended up moving to Boulder. Boulder is itself a real bubble, but it's not like the, um, it's not the same wellness industry that exists mm -hmm. in LA. It's just mm -hmm. not, you know, it can be kind of a bubble of quiet and privilege in a way, but it's, it's, um, it's very, very different. And so in that process for me, there was a bit of a reckoning of, I can't just live in a spiritual bubble, you know, I can't mm -hmm. live in a wellness bubble. Like, I think this reckoning happened for a lot of different people, but it wasn't a first time for me. Like I had mm -hmm. lived outside of I, I had lived in within different places where I was feeling what was happening uh, most of my adult life, choosing mm. that. Um, and and so now, uh, you know, the, it's a good question that you ask, like now how how to sort of negotiate that intersection of I do my deep work on myself because I know I'm holding a, a larger context of why I'm here which is my spiritual path, which thank God I have, because without it, I don't have a through line of a culture. I don't have a through line of a community or a village to hold me. So I fucking need my spiritual context. Otherwise, existentially, I would yeah. probably like fall apart, to be honest, yeah. you know, and I or think like a lot spend of people... your time canceling Beyonce, right? Totally. Oh, God. <laughs> thank God. That's not my life. This life. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, um, Same. 
But yeah, but I think we all come to what what is that negotiation look like? How much are we in the world, but not of the world? How much are we interacting with news and media, but also holding the larger context, right? It's like the absolute, Mm. like the Buddhists would say, the absolute truth and the relative truth. You can't really live in the absolute truth all the time. All is love. Love is all. Everything is fabulous. Like this is all part of it. Like if you say that to a, a woman who's just lost her child, like, fuck you, mm. you know? So mm. the relative, which is the grit, which is the soul, which is the muck, which is the pain. We also can't get stuck in that without, you know, so it, it really is a balancing of the absolute truth and the relative truth, or at least, I don't know if it's a balance, um, but a, at least a holding of the nuance and the mm-hmm. paradox of both, right. Of like the larger context. And I do think, being on a spiritual path can give you that, or it can make you bypass, you know, then what's happening. So totally, totally. that was a long winded answer. No, no, no. But it makes sense. It has to be a long winded answer. It's a really existential deep question that probably would be answered completely differently next week or next yeah. year. You know what I mean? Well, question for you. So how, how do you think, cause when you're talking about the summer camp to take us back mm-hmm. there, I was like, that's phenomenal. And I was like, Ooh, I'd love to see cis men there with interacting with the yeah. trans men. Um, that's next. Yeah. yeah. So I think that, you know, in the larger queer community, those of us who are part of the queer community, I think even more specifically, those of us who are a part of or adjacent to the larger trans community, often trans men are asked, especially binary male identified trans men and not this sort of like more non-binary uh, transmasculine identity, trans men yeah. are um, often asked to be quiet and make room because right. now they're experiencing male privilege. Right. And I think like that does a disservice to the potential for their integrated learning and understanding of this very specific intentional path of masculinity and maleness that they occupy. And so if the larger queer community can't hold that, how can trans men be of and in relationship with shifting masculinity culturally in a bigger way and i think that 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 next space feels like integrated retreats with that are decidedly not just trans men going to um an every man camp or uh or retreat but that it's like 50 50 trans men cis men talking openly about their paths of masculinity and maleness and forming and forging real brotherhood. Yes. So next year, uh, I'm going to be working with a gentleman who is a coach, a men's coach who works with every man. I think he's their diversity and inclusion um, mm-hmm. leader. Mike Sagoon and I are putting on a retreat next year that will be the first iteration of that. And then we'll see how that goes, learn from it, figure out how to tweak it and keep doing it. Yeah. Great. I love that. I think it's important, you know, and I think I'm so curious what will arise from that conversation. And I, there's a, there's a life experience that you've had that's so rich, which you're like, cause you're like bringing across something to these other men and then them with you that I think would Mm -hmm. be so beautiful. Um, yeah, I look forward to, to it's hearing a lot of vulnerability that. and a yeah. lot of trust. I yeah. can just imagine, you know, it's I'm scary. 22 yeah. years, terrifying. I'm 22 years into my uh, transition. And so now I have lived at like, I've transitioned for longer than, um, I, I don't know how to say it. I've been then, then you were alive, then you were alive or before. before. Yeah, before. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so I think, you know, within that I've like started resting really comfortably in my maleness and there are no more caveats and there is no more kind of exception or, um, there's nothing separating me from, right. from men in this way. So if someone receives my transness as like othering, that's theirs and it doesn't belong to me anymore. I don't feel dismantled by those pieces. And I think that, you know, that's a beautiful space to be in. And I think it feels like a space of like abundant generosity to kind of help other people, cis and trans men, um, get to that space of, of loving their maleness. Um, I will say once the, the workbook came out, quarantine happened. So it was 2020, March, 2020, the, the workbook came out and I was going to do all these like 
real life retreats. Yeah. And I set to speak at all these colleges and hold these like workshops on masculinity. Um, but I pivoted and brought them virtually. And I did about four workbook cohorts uh, with a dozen people in each one. And they lasted about eight weeks. And we went through every Sunday we would meet and um, digest a chapter or an exercise. And it was a mixed group. And it was uh, about half trans men, half cis men, a couple non-binary people. And it was like, you know, and it was pretty diverse too. So we had all kinds of like, like ages and um, different, different, like about 40% BIPOC men in attendance, um, trans and uh, not trans. And it was a really kind of beautiful incubator of mm. this exceptionally vulnerable space and being in that space while, and then George Floyd's murder happened and we were meeting every week and we were holding space together as this like vulnerable collective of men um and masculine people and it was just it it added to my layer of deep mm. love for men getting to see the transformational properties of of doing that type of work together uh, yeah um and then the other thing that i'll say about that workbook is sometimes i get emails a lot of therapists do it with their um clients That's especially awesome. like younger trans boys. Um, I've had a couple therapists say like, I'm doing this with my trans boys, which is really sweet. But then I get emails from trans guys who tell me I'm doing this with my dad and my brothers. Wow. And that's just like, fuck wow. man. That's because amazing. I mean, the origin of our man hating sometimes either comes from or gets put on our dads. Right. So the idea that these guys are like doing this type of work with their fathers is like, oh. fuck. It's, yeah. It's That's exactly so what important. I hoped for. Yeah. It's, that is, I mean, it's like, that is the healing, you know, mm -hmm. that I'm like, I feel is so necessary. Like just for you putting your time and energy into that collective like that collect that wound, you know, mm. and going, you know what, I'm going to like keep supporting this thing, this mm. space, I'm not going to turn away from it. Um, you know, even if people, are, you know, thrash about or whatever, <laughs> having a moment, right. Mm. But like, I'm still tuning into something here that's really important. And like you said, it's changed over time, right? Like it started mm. like, or I don't know where it started, but I, but I do know like the original plumbing magazine, like that was a complete, such a different iteration, right? Just like mm. making, making that space for trans men visibility. Now you're like, oh, I'm going to heal this intergenerational wound and with masculinity and trans men and cis men. And it doesn't, at the end of the day, I mean, I don't even think it really matters. Like it, it's not mm -hmm. even about that necessarily, right? Totally. It's about healing masculinity. Um, mm. And I like that you call it intentional masculinity because I think regardless of cis or trans, intentional masculinity sounds such like a gorgeous choice, right? It's mm -hmm. not, it's it's like the opposite of programmed masculinity. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there's, you could say by a lot, whatever, but- um, Unconscious, right? Unconscious, yeah. yeah. Intentional uh, masculinity where you choose intentionally. Mm -hmm. And I do, I do that with myself as a woman. I'm like, mm -hmm. I want to choose, I don't want to get stuck in some, you know, idea I have of who I am as a woman or what it means to be a woman in 2022, you know, <laughs> I want to be intentional about it as well, which is means healing those parts, yeah. right? Like healing the one who is hating the man, healing her. Yeah. So she doesn't have to be stuck in that. <laughs> like, nah. Totally. Totally. Especially, yeah. It's painful to yeah. be stuck in hatred. A hundred percent. And for me, I, as um, challenging as it is to be awake and sometimes wide awake to all of it, yeah. I would, I don't want to be unconscious. I can't imagine what it would feel like to live a truncated experience of this life, this one life in this one body, this one yeah. time. Yeah. And, you know what I mean? So uh, if the choice is to, to wake up and stay awake or be totally unconscious, all day, every day. I would call it like spiritual masculinity, but I think intentional invites more intellectual people into right, it. Right, 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 right. Maybe a little turned off by the woo because, right. you know, I'll go all the way deep woo, but I don't need to take everybody there. It can just be these bit by bit by bit. Yeah, which I love. 
I love, yeah. I think that's really cool. That. Practical. Yeah, yeah, that there's that access point. And it's true. It's that, that the process, you know, Carl Jung said the process of bringing anything to consciousness requires pain, which mm. it seems a little bit like a very old school masculine way to put it. <laughs> but not to hate on him. He did a lot for us. But I will mm -hmm. say it's like there, it, it does require discomfort. Like anytime we have to kind of go into the bowels or the the underbelly, the closet and bring something forward and sort of sift through the oldness and the rot and all of that, like it is uncomfortable. And that's the waking mm -hmm. up process. The waking up process isn't like, I mean, we've seen all the cheesy memes about it. It's not like someone, you know, waking up in bed and having a namaste, you know, awakening <laughs> like, oh, the angels arrive at your doorstep. It's, mm -hmm. it's grim at times. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I do think we're at a particular point point on the planet right now where it feels a little more scorpionic than usual <laughs> then again i don't know i didn't live during the dark ages or nazi germany mm. so it, this may be like a very well scorpionic... in our lifetime i don't know this is a very uncomfortable moment in time it's not comfortable. it is uncomfortable we have access know? to too much information we have these like like we were talking about before we started these computer minds that are plugged into an eight body there's just a lot of paradox that we have to hold that tension and duality constantly forever yeah. always all day all night so yeah it's like how do you tamp that down and get centered and live a more spiritual life and to your point not that like namaste spiritual bypassing meme but like a deep authentic connection to self and then understanding that self is connected to a much larger source yeah and that's it's as simple as that right yeah, this one being that plugs into all the beings and you see the interconnectedness and then you have more access to love and compassion and healing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it does require looking at our own stuff first and feeling our own feelings first. And I think that's where um, a lot of people would say, hell no, like I don't want to feel mm -hmm. those feelings and I don't want to take responsibility for where I fall into this greater theater and so um mm. but those of us who do we cry the tears and we fall on the floor <laughs> we have the dark nights of the soul and then we take responsibility for all of the shit we've done when we've been terrible dark nights of the soul oh yeah well yeah and then um and then we create from it and then we create mm -hmm. solutions and we create healing things and we do our best yeah. and we just keep doing that process again and again yeah. I love that about your story and your uh, I'm so curious, you know, where it will continue to emerge we'll like see. in the next 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see what happens next. And same, I'll be following what happens with you for in the next decade. I think one last thing that I just uh, yeah. occurred to me is, you know, that saying um, hurt people, hurt people. And yeah. I think, you know, as you were talking and we got, we wound our way to the present tense sort of through these different iterations of relationship to self and how that externally manifests. I think heal people, heal people. Yeah. And I, and I think it struck me that you and I, maybe we were more in our wounds when we first met. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> enact, enacting harm and hurt to ourselves and to the people around us. And now it's beautiful to kind of see that we both took these spiritual paths to to getting to a place of being people who have healed and are offering that healing information to communities of of people around us. Yeah, that's so beautiful. It's a great it's great to to feel it in that way and to you know to also feel like the beauty and the vulnerability of the journey, you know, mm -hmm. and we were leaders in our communities or you know putting th things forward despite being wounded and despite you know and that is super vulnerable you know mm -hmm. super mm -hmm. vulnerable to have be in the public arena as a person who's healing and i still mm -hmm. am and you still you know are but yeah. we've taken the bits of our journey that have mm -hmm. kind of reached a point of, of something cohesive and share that and that mm -hmm. i think is the path of an artist a leader a creative a visionary yeah um, and those of us that are tapped into chiron right i don't know, uh -huh. if you know chiron oh the, yeah the wounded healer right like <laughs> yeah. you're in your wound but you've healed that small piece so you can offer that information to other people so, yeah yeah that yeah. collective healing yes um, absolutely 
appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Is there anything like coming up ways that people can really deeply interact with your work, support you? Yeah. I mean, buy the mindful masculinity workbook, do yeah. it with yourself. And then if you feel so inclined, do it again with other people, like do yeah. it as a community. I love to see and feel the ripple effect of people investing in being more intentional with their relationship to their, to their core kind of identity. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Anything else besides that? I mean, right if you're now. for marketing help, I'm really good at that. And I'm okay. consulting. So if you're <laughs> okay, great. either a small business owner or a zero stage startup, then those are the people that I like working with the most, especially oh. if you're purpose driven. So yeah. you can check out my website and contact me there. And okay, everything great. is is there. You can also yeah. get the original plumbing book that exists. Which so. I would so recommend because yeah, it's a nice those were some culture. sexy times, even though we may have been a bit <laughs> wounded and enacting shadows. Like it was mm. a very sexy time in my life. Like well, my, shadows oh, are sexy too, right? <laughs> <laughs> like we were hot messes in different ways. Always. We're dating hot yeah. messes. We don't need if to say fully. who was in what what's yeah. what role. <laughs> some some messier than hot. <laughs> <laughs> anyway oh my goodness well i'm so glad to see you again and have you, you here too. today and yeah. thank you for the beautiful work you're doing in the world thank you thank you so much for listening to today's podcast for more 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 follow me on ig at alexandra roxo and you can get on my mailing list where i send poems practices rituals links to upcoming retreats and events and all kinds of goodies and if this podcast has touched your heart, please let us know. Please write us a review, give us a five-star rating, all of that. It means a lot to myself and everyone involved. Big, big love, my darling. Have a fabulous day and see you again very soon.